Well, multiply Lake Norman. How's everybody doing this morning for second service? Everybody feeling good? That's what I'm talking about. Hey, couple of announcements I have for you guys. The first one is this. I know it's Father's Day, so let me talk to all the guys in the room. We do our men's retreat every year. Uh, this year, it's August 17th through the 19th. Last year, we had a little over 50 guys come hang out with us. And, and man, we want you to put that down on your calendar to make sure you're available for that. It's a time that all the guys just get together and be guys. We have some healthy competition. We like to get after it. Even if uh, Chris Hazlett playing flag football likes to tackle people, we'll still get out there and have a good time. So man, make sure you put that down on your calendar. Another date that I want you to write down, uh, if you're old school, go ahead and pull out that calendar and write it in with that pencil or pen. But it's July the 2nd. July 2nd is a Sunday. We're having one service at there. Everybody say one service. If you show up at 9 o'clock, you're going to be helping us set up. If you show up at 10.30, then you're going to be half an hour late. But we're doing one service that day. We have a huge announcement that we'll be making, and then we'll have our family day after. All sorts of stuff for the kids. A lot of good, healthy competition for the adults, and, and we're just going to be hanging out. Last announcement that I need to make real quick. Uh, we do this a couple times a year, but June 21st, we have our business meeting. We'll be holding that in Concord per our Constitution and Bylaws. Uh, we have to announce that to the church. So we have that coming up June 21st. Uh, that's this coming Wednesday. We'll be making some votes on uh, future expansion for Multiply as a whole. So listen, we've been in the book of Romans. This is week number three. And, and before we go any further, I, I want to give us a recap of chapter one and chapter two. So in Romans chapter one, we picked out one verse that really stuck with us. And it's verse 16. And it reads like this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Then we read in Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 1, For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. So when you, a mere human, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same thing, so you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So we're picking up in Romans chapter 3 today, and I'll be referencing Romans 1 and Romans 2. And, and I know it's Father's Day. I, I know many of you are dads in the room. There might be some guys in the room that aren't fathers. Or, and the ladies in the room are like, what am I going to get out of today? Because it's Father's Day. I promise you this message has something in store for everyone. But fellas, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean in today. This is always a weird day for me because I grew up with a dad doing the very best he could with what he had. And what does that really mean? That means that I learned a lot of good things from my dad, but I also picked a lot of negative things up from my dad. Anybody else like that in the room? Like your dad imparted a lot of good qualities in you, and he did the very best he could with what he had, but there's also some areas that he fell short. This is also an odd day for me because about four years ago, my dad passed away suddenly, and, and many of you have heard the story, but to give you a snapshot of it, Went to a doctor's appointment with my dad. He didn't have a great heart. He had what was called a pick line, so it was in his arm, and, and it kept his heart pumping, and really it was keeping him alive. And go into this doctor's appointment, and the doctor told my dad that uh, they had to remove the pick line, and, 
And she said, hey, Zach, would you walk out into the hallway with me for a second? I said, yeah, absolutely. So I walked up, and I was like, all right, Doc, what's the, what's the next step? What are, what are we doing next? And she said, Zach, there's, there's nothing else we can do. No, 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 there, there's got to be, because the way my mind works, I, I, can, I can have some rationale about everything, and there's an order, so there's got to be something you can do. I know you're taking the pick line out, so, so what's the next step? Zach, Zach, there is no next step. Well, Doc, what are you, what are you telling me? Hey, and... The next 48 to 72 hours, your dad's going to pass away. What are you talking about? My dad's going to... And I I got angry. By the way, I was a pastor in this moment and said some four-letter words I'm not too happy of, all right? Thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. I'm just trying to be real. I'm like, what what are you talking about? There's nothing you can do. So hospice was called. We went to my dad's house. And he made this comment. I'll, I'll never forget it. But he made this comment when he was getting into the bed. He says, I guess I'm, I guess I'm climbing into my casket. And my dad just fell asleep and, and never woke up. In 48 hours, gone. We're having normal conversation back and forth. We're joking around about the Braves. We're, we're having conversations about baseball and football and about life. And, and, and as the hours pass, he says, son, I'm getting tired. He just fell asleep and never woke up. So days like today are, are this dichotomy for me because on one hand, I know there's many people in the room that, that look towards their dad for everything. Your dad is your hero. Your dad has imparted wisdom in you. He's done the very best he could with what he has. He's been a good example of what a godly man should be. And then others in the room, you're like, I don't, I don't really know my dad. My dad was never there for me. And you have all these harsh feelings towards your dad. And for me, I'm like, God, why, why'd you take mine? Why'd you take him like that? I'm shaking my fist at God and I'm angry and I'm mad. So there's all these emotions swirling around Father's Day. But there's a commonality that I find in days like today. And, and the men in the room, what I've realized is this. We're all doing the very best we can with what we have. No, we're not perfect, but we're doing the very best we can with what we have. And then I read something like the book of Romans. And I realize that I can read it through one of two lenses. I can read it through a lens of discouragement, or I can read it through a lens of encouragement. Again, let me reference some of those verses. Romans 1.16, we shouted this a couple weeks ago. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can get behind that message. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Fast forward to Romans 2.1. And what we realize is that we're the reason that people turn away from Jesus. It's this dichotomy again. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but yet I'm the reason that some people turn away from Jesus because of the way I act, because of the way I talk, because of the way I live my life. And then Romans 2, 3 says, don't pass judgment because God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. The Bible's not there to beat us down. It's there to lift us up. It's there to lead us towards repentance. So so we we learn these things and we're like, okay, I, I love Jesus And we recognize that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but boy, do I mess up. Man, do I, don't I fall short sometimes? Because when Zach Witt drops the ball, when Zach Witt fails, I fail hard. I mess up big time. And then if I read through the lens of discouragement, then I realize I'm the reason that people turn away from Jesus because of the way I live my life. Because of the way that I react to situations. Because of the way that I respond. And then what I find throughout life is this. People are pointing fingers saying, I told you so. I told you that Jesus thing wasn't real. I told you he was faking it. I told you that he didn't have it all put together. 
I don't know if you're a guy in the room I and mean, you ever feel like that, that you, you, you mess up sometimes and you find that people are just pointing fingers at you and you're like, yeah, I get it, I messed up, I'm so sorry. Not to justify the failure, but you're like, man, I'm not, I'm not perfect. Even though people expect you to live with perfection. Then we fast forward to Romans chapter 3, and this is kind of where we'll pick up and bounce around a little bit today. But, but Romans 3.23, Paul reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're like, Zach, it's, it's Father's Day. Don't you want to start off with something a little more uplifting? <laughs> like, don't you want to encourage the guys in the room a little bit? Not really. <laughs> that makes you laugh. Okay. <laughs> but, I, but I don't. I, I want to start off with something real. I want to start off with something uncomfortable because the time has run out for feel-good messages that barely challenge you to change your life past lunchtime on a Sunday morning. Like, I'm, I'm tired of it, and I'm, and I'm speaking to myself. I can't tell you how many sermons and how many messages I've sat in from my 11th grade year in high school, and I can't even remember them because they didn't impact me. That's really encouraging for a pastor to be up here. It's like, how many times have you listened to what I said, and it really hasn't impacted you? But maybe today, this will be a message that impacts you, that you can look back on years to come and go, man, I remember that moment. I remember that something changed in my life. I remember that something changed in my mindset. I remember that something shifted for generations to come in my family because of this message. Not because of something that I will say, but because of the realness and the truth that we find throughout Scripture. Because when I read these verses, when I read through Romans 1, 2, and getting into 3, especially in that order, okay, I'm not ashamed but when I judge, I actually condemn myself, and I'm the reason that people fall away from, from Jesus, and, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then, then what we do is we play this loop over and over in our minds as if we're the problem, especially dads in the room. Where do I mess up? Where do I fall short? And I've got a a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and there are times that I lose my temper, I, I raise my voice, and I'm like, man, she's... She's five years old. Of course she's going to mess up. Of course she's going to fall short. Of course she's going to like, do something that I asked her not to do. Don't, don't lose your cool. D Dad's in the room. Have you ever like, responded to, to your kids or to your spouse and, and then you're like, you get away by yourself after the incident or after whatever happened and you kind of, I don't know if y'all do this, but I, I like put my hands on my in my bathroom, like on the counter, and I look in the mirror, I'm going, what in the world did you just do? No, just me, okay, I, I'll just confess to you guys, it's, it's just me. Splash some water on your face, and you're like, I've got to go apologize. You know, you know what's hard? It's hard apologizing to a five-year-old. It's really hard apologizing to a two-year-old. Like, she's just smiling at me, I love you, daddy, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's really hard apologizing to your wife. As men, you know what's really hard? It's really hard apologizing to your friends. It's really hard apologizing in general. For some reason, this roadblock goes up as if we don't know how to do it, as if our brain can't compute. We forget to act like humans. We forget to use our words, and we're like, I'm sorry, I guess. And then we're like robotic about it. But, but something goes off inside of us. We know when we mess up. We know when we fall short. But then it's hard for us to to transition that in our head to words. Because when I get, again, when I read the verses, I'm not ashamed, 
When I judge, I condemn myself. I'm the reason that, follow, uh, that people fall away from Jesus. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I play that loop over and over in my head. I'm like, man, I guess I'm just, I guess I'm just messed up. I guess I'm just no good. I guess I'll never be good at this thing called life. Before we go any further into Romans chapter 3, let's take a look at a few fathers in the Bible. The first one is this. Abraham was the friend of God, yet he had a wife, Sarah, and had a child with his wife's maid, and he was still considered a friend of God. Got a lot of questions. Some of y'all hadn't read that far in your Bible yet. Like, I didn't know that was there. What about Isaac? Isaac had one wife, but he liked Esau more than he liked Jacob. He was a father that showed favoritism, and the entire family knew it. Yet, yet he was in love with God. Jacob was an unusual father. He married two sisters, and he had kids with their maids. He also showed favoritism by loving Joseph more than he loved his other kids. Yet he followed after God. And then we get to David. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And as a father, he was an adulterer and a murderer. He committed adultery with Beersheba and murdered Beersheba's husband, Uriah. Yet the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Then we could talk about Solomon. We'd be here all day if we talked about Solomon. Brian, uh, Brian reminded me, Brian King reminded me, that Solomon had 700 concubines. What's a concubine? It's a mistress. Yet he was supposed to be one of the wisest men in the Bible. Mm. One commentary writes it like this. Biblical fathers practice incest, adultery, fornication, polygamy, committed murder, and many more. Yet many of them were considered men of God, friends of God, and men after God's own heart. If you don't hear anything else that I say today, hear me when I say this. You can be a good father and be imperfect. Maybe you're not a dad in the room. Maybe you're not a dad watching online. You can be a good man and still be imperfect. We see that throughout Scripture. Now, let me be very clear. This isn't an excuse to be imperfect. This isn't an excuse to fall short. Think back to Romans chapter 2. What does it say? God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. The Bible isn't there to beat us down. The Bible isn't there to just bring conviction. The Bible is there to lift us up, to lead us towards repentance, that our lives might be transformed. We see that in Romans chapter 12. How many of us are allowing the Bible to beat us down opposed to lift us up. How many of us read scripture through that lens? Again, you can read it through discouragement or you can read it through encouragement. Our imperfection should always lead us to Jesus. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, but, but Zach, I've, I've messed up for a long time. If you only knew the thoughts that were in my head, if you only knew what I've done in the past, if you only knew what burdens I carry, can I look you in the eye and say, welcome to the club? Can, can I remind everyone in the room that we've all fallen short? I said it like this last week. This is like Sinners Anonymous. Hey, my name's Zach. Hi, Zach. I appreciate it. Again, I know what room some of y'all have been in. I've been in those rooms too. But I'm picking up my day one chip each and every day. Like, hey, my name's Zach. I'm a sinner. <laughs> and when I wake up in the morning, I have to say, God, I, I need your 
forgiveness. God, I need your mercy. God, I, I, I need all that you have for me because I'm broken and I fall short every single day. I'm a sinner. I, there was some research that was uh, done over the past few years, and, and men live in this weird dichotomy because we're labeled as men, and we are men, so, so that must mean we have to be strong all the time. We're men, so everything has to be buttoned up and put together all the time. If we start to struggle, we can't let other people know. We have to hide our emotions. If you're struggling, then suck it up. If you're in a dark place mentally, then suck it up. If you're hurting, then throw some dirt on it and suck it up. So inevitably what happens is we go through life, we know we have fear, we know we have failure, we know we have imperfections, and it's this huge elephant in the room, and we put it over in the corner and try to throw a drape around it as if it doesn't exist. Because if I can ignore it long enough, then maybe it'll go away. And what happens is we just stop looking at it. We stop acknowledging it. As if, again, it will just vanish and disappear. It's about time that we look at the elephant in the room, rip the curtain off of it, and put it front and center on the stage and say, this is what I struggle with. Now, this is what I will say as you walk through life and as you walk through relationships. You have to have appropriate vulnerability. You have to trust the people in your corner. You have to know the proper time and proper place to reveal some of the things that you're struggling with. But there should be someone in your life that you can do that with every step of the way. Then if we're not careful, we try to hide it. We try to ignore it. We try to act like it's not there. And then we start seeking validation in places that we shouldn't. So for some of you in the room, you, you get addicted to drugs just to ease the pain and then you tell yourself that you're not hurting anybody and you're just doing it for yourself and to yourself. And maybe some of the men in the room, you start watching pornography and you're saying, you know what, this is just something that eases my pain. I'm going to do this. It's not affecting anyone else. Or then maybe you'd, you cope with a bottle every night. And I'm not talking about like a glass of wine or a glass of bourbon or a couple cold ones. I'm talking about turning down an entire bottle every night to try to drown out the noise and ignore whatever life is throwing at you. And you justify it by saying, well, at least I'm doing it in my own house and I'm not at the bar every night. Because that makes you feel better about yourself. Or maybe, maybe you seek verbal validation from others and you write it off by saying, well, at least I'm not having an affair. It could be much, much worse. It's just a conversation. As men, we feel like we can't show anyone our struggles because if we do, we feel like our entire world will fall apart. And ultimately what happens is we have these two devils on our shoulder. And we, we've seen like the cartoon characters where you have the devil on one side and, and the angel on the other side. Ain't no devil and angel. It's two devils. And one of them's whispering to you, hey, you have to continue to wear the mask. As long as you can put the mask on and act like everything is okay, then no one will suspect anything. Continue to wear the mask. Keep it to yourself. It could get a lot worse. But as long as you wear the mask, no one will notice it. You're not too far gone. Just, just keep wearing the mask. The time will eventually pass. And then on the other side, you have the other little devil going, well, hey, you didn't get caught that time. I wonder how far you can take it without getting caught. I wonder what other conversation you can have. I wonder what else you can lean into. 
And so again, what happens is we perpetuate this elephant in the room. We keep it covered. We act as if it doesn't exist. And then we have these two little devils whispering in our ears and we find ourselves lost beyond belief. It's like we want to cry out for help. We want to say we don't have it all together. But then the other side of us tells us, I have to continue to wear the mask. If I pull the mask off, then people will know who I really am. And people will know what I really struggle with. People will really know my sin. People will really know my failure. In the fallen state of humanity, sin is in our DNA. So stop acting like it's not. We all have sin. We've all fallen short. We may not have had a strong role model. And, and for years, for years, I would use that as an excuse. I am the way I am because of the way I was raised. Well, I wouldn't be the way I am if my dad wasn't a Coke dealer. I wouldn't be the way I am if, if my parents wouldn't fight in front of me. I wouldn't be the way I am today if my dad would have just shown me how to be a man, if my dad would have shown me how to be a father. And I used those excuses for years and for years and for years. And I had a counselor look at me and say, you know what your problem is? Your problem is you're always looking for your dad for validation opposed to looking to God. I would blame everything on my dad as if it made me feel good about myself and it justified my actions. And I'm doing this as a Christ follower opposed to looking at the word of God and going, no, 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 God, you've already, you've shown me the way. You've told me how to act. E even though my dad did the very best he could with what he had and he fell short, you, you still picked up the pieces. You still put me on the right path. And I think the reason we try to justify our actions is because we're not proud of them. And since we're not proud of them, we want to we point the finger. We want to cast the blame. Because then we don't have to take ownership. But God has called us to take ownership of who we are. Again, not to just condemn us, not to beat us down, so that we might be transformed, to lead us to repentance. Hmm. So if we don't have it all together... I, we feel like we can't provide, and if I can't provide, then why am I here? And statistically, we know that men are less likely to have conversations about their feelings. In first service, Ernie was sitting at the back, and he screams, amen! Because <laughs> we, don't, we don't like to talk about our feelings so much. We don't want to sit crisscross applesauce, hold hands, and sing kumbaya. That's not, that's not who we are. But what would it look like if we cracked the door open? What would it look like if we started to have real, honest, open conversations? But for some reason, we don't. So we bottle it up. We bottle up the traumatic life events. We bottle up the relationship problems. We bottle up the employment problems. We bottle up the physical health problems. We bottle up social isolation we bottle up major life changes that we just want some wisdom and guidance on. We bottle up our drug and alcohol abuse. We bottle up our pornography abuse. And, and when we bottle it up, it leaves us feeling nervous and worried. It leaves us feeling sad and down. We begin to have these major mood swings and seek validation in places that we shouldn't. We have a lack of interest in things that we used to enjoy. And then we feel overwhelmed and stressed. Research says if the elephant in the room goes unchecked, then we withdraw from the people we love and thoughts creep into our head that the world would be a better place without me. The world would be better without my mistakes. 
The world would be better without my failures. The, the world would be better without my sin. And then what the enemy does is he begins to creep through the cracks and he uses the word of God against us just like he tried to do with Jesus when he was being tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. Remember, you can read scripture through one of two lenses, through discouragement or encouragement. And the devil wants you to read it through discouragement. So he wants you to read the book of Romans like this. Yeah, you are the reason that people turn away from Jesus. Yeah, you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah, you judge people and, and, and that judgment turns towards you. But the word of God is, the, let, me, let me put it this way. The word of God is used for correction, but not condemnation. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But we live as if the Bible is there condemning us. The Bible isn't there to condemn us. The Bible is there to lead us to repentance. Zach, you're saying the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, it's Father's Day. We got some thick skulls and hopefully repetition will get in your head. Because that's what it, <laughs> the ladies laugh in the room. No guy laughed. I heard like 17 ladies laugh. But do you, do you believe the word of God or not? Romans chapter 8, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Statistically, this is what we know. In the United States, the suicide rate among males is four times higher than among females. Male deaths represent 79% of suicides, amounting to roughly 105 men who die by suicide every single day. Every single day. Suicide is the second most cause of death for men under the age of 45. If you're under the age of 45, if you're a male under the age of 45, I want you to stand all across the room. All across the room. Do a quick count. One, two, three. Some of y'all are like, I'm 45. I'm, some of y'all are like, I'm 47 and standing up anyway. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Elliot, you're not under 45? Shut up. <laughs> They're not. 40, 41, 42. Is your brother back there? 43? All right, 43. So quick math, eight of you sit down. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Gabe, I'm stopping with you, eight. Ryan, you stay standing. So sit down. Sit down. There you go. So of all the men that have committed suicide or thought about committing suicide, look, look around the room at the percentages. We, we read a percentage of like 79% and we're like, oh, I wonder if that's a lot of people. Look around the room. Just in our congregation, can I remind us that just because we're inside the walls of the church does not exempt us from those percentages. The devil is still out to get us. If this doesn't change your heart, if this doesn't open your eyes, I don't know what will. You guys can go ahead and sit down. In a room this size with this many people, there are men that are struggling with suicide. Zach, you're being awkward and you're being silent. Yeah, let that sink in. In a room this size, there's men that are struggling with alcohol abuse and drug abuse. There's men struggling with pornography. There's men that are hurting and struggling. And, and again, what we do is we feel like we have to keep the mask on. That little, little devil on our, just keep the mask on. Act as if it doesn't exist. Keep hiding the elephant. Just ignore it a little longer. Keep hiding it. You'll be okay. You can get through this yourself. You're tough. You're a man. Throw some dirt on it. 
We don't want to acknowledge the facts. In the U.S., the year before suicide, only 35% of men on average sought care from a mental health practitioner. That stat blows my mind. That means that 65% of men who thought about suicide thought about it by themselves on their own and never told a soul. Let those percentages sink in. That means, statistically, there are six out of every ten men in this room who have struggled with suicide at some point in their life and not said a word to anyone. That stat blows my mind. In 2015, roughly 9.8 million adults age 18 or older thought seriously about trying to kill themselves in the previous 12 months. So this isn't just, oh, I thought about it 10 years ago. This is, this is no, I'm, I'm struggling with it here and now. This is, these thoughts are going through my mind now. But what gets men there? Paul actually alludes to it in Romans chapter 3, picking up in verse 9, and he says this, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the same power of sin. So reminder what I just said, sin is in our DNA. And then Paul starts to quote Psalm 36 and he says this, as it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. How, how do we get there? Why do we get there? What caused it? We'll go back to week one in Romans chapter 1 verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. I think there's many men, there's many people inside the church. You actively come on Sunday, but you're still exchanging the truth for a lie. You're exchanging what the enemy says about you. You're exchanging your own personal shortcomings for the truth about God. And all of those thoughts are lies from the pit of hell. And we allow them to entangle us. And in seasons of my life, I've allowed them to entangle me. Continue to read in Romans chapter 3 and we pick up in verse 20 and it reads like this. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. It's not about just what you do. It's not about trying to act good. It's not about doing five good deeds for every one bad deed. That You can't outwork your sin. Rather, through the law, we become conscious to our sin. So the law is there to shine light that we are sinners, that we are fallen, that we are broken. We need the law. Without the law, without the Bible, we don't have the direction that we're called to go. But then we, we keep reading. The Bible isn't there to... The Bible's there to help us acknowledge our brokenness, not to chain us to our brokenness. Verse 25 says this. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Atonement for what? Atonement for your sin. Again, we're all, we're all sinners. Hi, my name's Zach. Hi, Zach. Day one chip. We're all sinners. We're all broken. But verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. That through the shedding of his blood, what he displayed on the cross... 
hanging on the cross for my sin and, and for your sin, that we might be received by faith. Some of us read the Bible and we're like, Jesus was a good dude. He hung on the cross for a lot of sinners. There's no way he did it for me. We can believe that God can forgive every other sin for every other person except for our own personal sins. Everyone else can be saved. Every other sin can be forgiven, but not mine. We, we have this messed up view that we are that far gone, that we are that broken, that we are that messed up, that God couldn't touch us with a 10-foot pole. Everyone else can be saved. I'm on my way to hell. You're not that big and you're not that bad. What you're saying is, is that your sin is actually greater than what Jesus displayed on the cross. You're like, I would never, I would never say that. Then stop living like that. You either believe the fullness of the Bible or you don't. Yo, that's hard for me. That's, that's a hard pill for me to swallow. Because I look back at my past and I'm like, ain't no way he forgave that. That stupid stuff I did in high school, that stupid stuff I did in college. Stupid stuff, I mean, just dumb stuff. So what do we do? We ignore it, we put it in the corner, we throw the drape over it, the elephant's in the room. Ain't no way. I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to ignore it, and if I ignore it, it'll eventually go away. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. My favorite verse of the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, and it says this. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. It's the realization that we're all sinners. It's the realization that I'm the worst of them all, yet I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus. There's things in my life that I'm ashamed of. There's situations in my life that have punched me square in the mouth and beat me down. And I've had those little devils whisper on my, my shoulder. And we can read scripture and we can allow it to encourage us or we can allow it to discourage us. But the devil will even use scripture to try to beat us down. Try to have your own alone time with Jesus, your, your quiet time with Jesus. And then you get those thoughts in your head. I don't know why you're doing this. You're not consistent with it. You said you were going to spend an hour. You've barely been in for 15 minutes and your mind's starting to wonder. You said you were going to have quiet time with Jesus and, and it's been 27 seconds and you've already looked at your phone because somebody sent you a text message. You're not even good enough to get past a minute. You're not even good enough to read the Bible every day. You're not even good enough to journal every day. You don't, you don't belong in the church. You know what? Why don't you just leave the church and bottle up your emotions? Keep the elephant in the corner. Keep the elephant covered up. Act as if it doesn't exist. You know what? Your prayers are so elementary. God's got bigger and more important things to deal with. He's not even listening to you. God doesn't have time for you. Maybe I'm just speaking to myself. Maybe I'm just looking in the mirror. But maybe there's some people in the room that you've had those same thoughts and those same emotions. The only thing that has saved me and continues to save me is trusting and the true word of God. And having a wife that loves me unconditionally and having people around me that have pulled me back from the edge. Men in the room, what does all of this mean? It means that we can't go through life alone. We say this too much in the church and never act on it. Since I've been in the church, 
my 11th grade year of high school, the moment that I walked into the church, one of the first things my youth pastor told me when I started following Jesus was, Zach, you need some accountability partners. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, lift your hand if you've ever heard that statement. You need some accountability partners. How many of us have really acted on it? How many of us have true accountability partners that we can pull the elephant to the center of the stage, rip the curtain off and say, this is the junk. Now hear me, you have to have appropriate vulnerability. You can't just go tell anyone and everyone all of your junk and all of your mess because they can't handle it. But there should be two or three people in your life that you can have honest and open and hard conversations with. And those honest and hard, open conversations, those individuals will, will remind you, Romans 3, 23, we're all sinners. But they should also remind you of Romans chapter 2, that that sin and that condemnation is caused to lead you to repentance. And they should also call out Romans chapter 8, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, that you are forgiven regardless of your sin. Now, that doesn't mean that life's going to be easy and you can just gloss over the mistakes you've made. You still have to deal with them. You still have to walk through it. But those true accountability partners will walk through it with you. I've only seen that displayed a few times in my life. What would it look like if we took the Bible for its word, for its truth, in wholeness, and said, you know what, I'm going to lean into this thing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually give it all that I have. I'm going to stop ignoring the elephant in the room. Let me talk to the other side of the coin. If, if someone comes to you, you have an option. You have an option to go, you know what? I'm not touching that because it'll, it'll taint my reputation. If I link arms with them, then people will associate me with that. If I link arms with them, then, then people will think that I'm doing the same thing. So I'm actually going to steer clear and I'm going to act as if they never told me that. And I'm going to act as if they've got it figured out. Or you can link arms with them and you can get in the trenches. I need people that are going to get in the trenches with me. I need a few people that are going to get a little dirty with me. I need a, a few people that are going to get in the mud with me. I need a few people that are going to walk through life with me. Regardless of what comes, come hell or high water, they're there with me. My boat starts to sink. I'm trying to pale out in the water. They're paling with me. Too many people will jump out, swim away, and look back and go, see you later. I did this for Mother's Day. I'm going to do it for Father's Day. I, I want every, every male in the room if you could begin to make your way forward. I want to look you in your eyeballs. Some of y'all sit too far back. I can't see your eyeballs. I don't know if you're falling asleep or not. The Bible tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. A lot of guys making their way up here right now. Some of y'all don't even know each other's name. I've been coming to church here for six, eight, 12 months. Y'all looking around like, I've seen that person before, don't know their name. That's the problem. For some reason, we're afraid to get intentional. For some reason, we're afraid to lean in. For some reason, we're afraid to link arms. And we're like, oh, I don't want everybody to know my nonsense. So I'm just going to, I'll show up. I'll tell the same person, hey, for six months in a row, still don't know their name. Anybody? Y'all being honest. I appreciate you being honest, Brian. Has anybody ever read uh, the book Gulliver's Travel? Anybody? A few of you? Nobody? Okay, nobody on this side. Matt, a couple of you? Well, I want to use this as an illustration. There's a, 
an instance where, where Gulliver's on this island and he's being tied down by these little people on the island because he's sleeping. And they throw, yes, and they throw one piece of like yarn over him at a time. What I know is this, the enemy is playing a masterful game with the men of the church. If I can just get the men of the church to stay asleep for a little longer, then I can get one more thread of yarn over them. Now in the story, if Gulliver wakes up at any moment, then those little people, gone, destroyed. They're tiny. And the enemy knows if the church wakes up, if the men in the church wakes up, then he's done for. But the enemy is trying his best and doing a dang good job of it at keeping the men asleep and tying them down one thread at a time. Just, just stay asleep. Stay asleep. You don't have a problem. Stay asleep. You can drink all the alcohol you want inside your own house. You can abuse it all you want as long as you're at home. Just stay asleep. Watch porn in your own room. Just hide away. It's just you doing it. You're not affecting anyone else. Hey, just stay asleep a little longer. It's just one conversation. You're not having an affair. Just stay asleep a little longer. It's just a little pain. You can deal with it on your own. Just stay asleep a little longer. It's just a little insecurity. You can manage it and take care of it by yourself. It's one thread at a time. Men, we're not made to do life alone. We're made to truly stand in the gap with each other and for each other. So regardless of what you've experienced, regardless of what type of role model you had or, or didn't have growing up, regardless of what type of excuses you've used to this point, it's all gone. The elephant is in the middle of the room. The curtain's being ripped off. Now you have a choice when you walk away today to go put that elephant back. The sad thing is some of you might. The encouraging thing is some of you won't. Keep the elephant in the middle of the room. Find a couple guys that you can trust, that you can lean into, that you can hold, that can hold you accountable. There's stuff in all of our lives that we probably need to confess before people, but first we need to confess it before God. Why? Because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The testimony is that this doesn't have to be the way you live. You don't have to keep things secret. You don't have to keep things bottled up. You don't have to act as if they don't exist. I've realized that in recent uh, days, weeks, months, I've got some accountability partners in my life. But one person said it like this to me a couple of days ago. I need somebody that can look me in my eyeballs. I don't need somebody that's just going to call me on the phone. I need somebody that can look in the whites of my eyes and ask me hard questions. All of us need that. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care what you've walked through. I don't care what your job title is. I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care what you're doing in your future. I don't care how cool your job is, how boring your job is, how many zeros are in your bank account. I don't care. We all need it. So either we're going to get real about it or we're just going to act as if it doesn't exist. We're, or, we're either going to wake up a sleeping giant or we're going to stay asleep and get tied down one thread at a time. I'm hoping today that some of us wake up. I'm hoping today that some of us take this thing serious. So as we step back into worship, that's my challenge. That's where we're going to start. We're going to start by praising the name of Jesus. Now, some of you, you come in here every week and you worship like this. 
I'm not making fun of you, Matt, because your hands are in your pocket right now. But some of you worship like this. You barely look at the screen. You barely read the words. You barely sing, much less turning your palms towards heaven. And I think subconsciously you think, I'm not good enough to do that. And I don't know if I even really believe the words that are on the screen. So I'm just going to, at least I'm here. What if we moved past at least I'm here and going, God, I'm surrendering it all to you. So that's my challenge, that we would actually open our voices, that we would start now, and that we might turn our palms towards heaven and praise Jesus for who he is as we step back into worship.